What's going on, guys? Charles Rob, a.k.a. The Handsome Home Buyer. We've got another fire podcast for you this week, Latin Fire. we got Dom Santiago, multi-generational, 25-plus years in the business, coming out of Jersey. You're not going to want to miss it. Great guy, great episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, kid. Welcome, welcome again back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, aka El Julio Maravilloso. And we are back on stream. You are. We got to mix it up a little bit. I have a banger of a guest today from our neighboring city of New Jersey. This gentleman. So I'm on Instagram. Actually, his team found me on Instagram. I started looking into him. This guy is straight, 100% real all the time and that's why i love him i talked to him about five minutes before this we're gonna riff we're gonna find out all about him but you know when you know when you just you meet somebody and you vibe and you're like this dude's the real deal and as him and i were talking now obviously as everybody that's gonna watch this knows there is a lot of bullshit out there in the industry he's been doing it for 25 years in new jersey started out as a banker which was his full-time hustle he was flipping deals as his side hustle, which eventually became his full-time hustle. And this is back in the day, and I'm really excited to talk to him and see how things have changed in the industry, because this is before it was sexy, before all auction.com and HubZoo and all that, before there were TV shows with sexy sidekicks and all that. So this gentleman has done it all. We have Dominic Santiago from New Jersey, from the Dom Realty Group. What up, what up, what up? What's up, Charles? Thank you for that great introduction. Really good, I gotta pay for that. Nice, man. I I, I don't do a lot of things well, but I'm a pretty decent hype man. Um, so thank you very much for coming. Thank you guys for reaching out. I'm really excited to uh, be able to chop it up with you. And um, cause Jersey, I've been hearing a lot of things about Jersey. I'm, I'm a New York, Long Island guy, obviously. Jersey, and I've been hearing for like the last couple of years, although it's been going on, I'm sure, for a lot longer, is fire. Fire. As a matter of fact, a couple of guys left New York to go to Jersey because the market, they say, has been great. There was more inventory, a lot of more opportunity, better ROIs, things like that. That's correct. And there's a reason for that. We're, we're so close um, to New York. Like, for instance, when you look at downtown Jersey City, I think it's, what, one or two miles from uh, the Holland Tunnel. You got... Uh, the Lincoln Tunnel, you got Hoboken, you got Union City, and then you go to George Washington Bridge. You got all those neighboring towns right on the border. They call it the Gold Coast. Um, that area did really well in the 90s. Um, people made millions of dollars um, uh, in that area. And then when that um, whole area got saturated, people kind of went in a little bit and went in uh, about seven to nine, nine miles in. And you found some really nice properties with some really decent lot sizes. Um, and coming from New York myself, uh, when I saw a, a 50 by 100 lot, which is only 5,000 square feet, I was like, oh, I'm in heaven. I can put a swimming pool in. I can put, I, you know, I can have a driveway with like two or three cars and a front yard and a backyard. So to me, that was really big. Uh, and that's a good selling point. And then the other selling point was, that I was able to get into the city, um, you know, in 15 minutes, in 20 minutes. Um, and that was obviously not during rush hour. Um, that was off hours. And then you kind of learned how to navigate going in and out of the city um, at different times. Um, so you go in at around 1030 um, after the traffic. And then when you come home, you come home at around 730, 8 o'clock. 
so that you won't hit the traffic. So those are the benefits of New Jersey. So just for people who don't know you, if you could give us kind of like the 90 second rundown about what you do and how you ultimately got into real estate. Um, born and raised in New York City, Manhattan, um, single mom, very little bit of money. Um, I kind of went to school at night because I had uh, two kids at an early age, but uh, it worked out well. Um, I was a banker for a while. I was pushing. I started in banking making around $20,000 a year, and my top salary was around 185000 And I started doing um, real estate part-time, um, and my part-time income was equivalent to my um, my banking salary. So I was making about $150,000 to $200,000 part-time. So it was easy to me at that point to transition over uh, to uh, real estate full-time. So I ended up giving up my career as a banker and I opened up my real estate uh, company full-time. And then I ended up pushing that up. You know, um, I think the first year I did like 500,000 and then I kept on pushing that up. And then I, I and then kind of pushed it over to um, over a million dollars in certain years. And then obviously some years are over and then some of them are lower. Uh, but on average, it's, it's a really good income and it's a really nice Nice lifestyle. No, good for you, man. That's and that was that was twenty or twenty five years ago when you made the full time leap. I, think I, I, I left the banking in two thousand and five, so that was, uh, it was around fifteen, sixteen years ago. Yeah. It was really scary because you're giving up the four hundred one k, you're giving up the benefits, you're giving up uh, the security of the whole you know job format and everything that your parents tell you to do, hey, get a job, stay there forever, save your money on, you know, uh, you know, with via the 401k and save all your money, work on a pension. So it was, um, you know, it was a really big jump. It was kind of scary, but I, I, I did it and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm not going to lie. There are days that I'm like physically beat up, mentally beat up, emotionally beat up, financially beat up. But and then I, you know, it, it all goes away when you pick up a check, but they are days that, it, it, that that are tough. Some days are better than others. I know. I was just having one when I when I signed on to this. You're like, how you doing? I'm like, ah, oh, oh, it's Pineapple Monday. Like sometimes there's just a tremendous amount of emotional uh, trauma that comes with this business or any business. But like you, I, would, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, I'm curious to know, because I think this is like a, a really relevant point. How, how old were you when you ended up? 15 years ago, you were how old? think around 30, 35. Okay. So the point I kind of want to make for, you know, a lot of the younger kids that are out watching this is you, you got a full-time job at 25. You worked a full-time job and had a high side hustle for 10 years before you were ready to make the transition into full-time real estate coming from, I'm sure a very traditional family and you know, family that said, you know, you get a job, you work there for a hundred years and, and then that's it. Um, I'm curious to know how you, A, I want people to know that it takes time. So for all these kids that think they're 25 years old and they haven't made millions of dollars yet, it takes time. And then B, I'm curious to know kind of like the thought process for you on how you dealt with your family and kind of your, you know, your own inner, inner self saying, do I take this leap? Do I not take this leap? And how did you ultimately do it? Well, you feel it, you know, when you go to work and, and your bosses are talking to you when you're driving to work and you, you don't like 
you, you got to go with your feelings and you got to go with your emotions are just like, you know, telling you, hey, this is not right. You got to make the jump. But going back to what you mentioned, you kind of have to build it up a little bit um, before you take that jump. You're not just going to give up your salary and not have something that's going. So you kind of build up your your business or your side uh, hustle on the side little by little until it reaches a point where you feel that if you left your job, that your part-time business will give you enough income to support you, at least for the, you know, to cover the monthly expenses. And then when you jump over and then the goal is to push that to the level that you want. Um, But, you know, going back to what you were saying about the kids, you know, some of these kids are sharp, you know, these guys are making a lot of money, um, you know, via online trading options, uh, Bitcoins, uh, you know, they, they don't do the traditional working. In, uh, they don't do traditional work anymore. They're being smarter and faster. So sometimes I feel that I'm not doing enough. You know, I'm like, oh, I only made, uh, you know, 500 this year. That's not enough money. I, I should be doing 5 million. So that's a little tough sometimes to see what everybody else is doing. And it, kind of gives you self-doubt as well yeah i mean well i guess there's there's always people that are doing better or there's always people that are doing more uh, that are that are worse off than you i guess it's good to constantly always be having something to chase you always want something to chase so that you're you know you're you're better and better um and it's cool that listen how how old are you at this point 50 50 and again i'm 41 so i think 50 is young because i think 41 is really young but compared to 20 year olds and a lot of my contemporaries 35 to 45, I noticed that they're slowing down. They're like, listen, I just want to maintain. So I give you a, a lot of credit for being an outside-the-box thinker, constantly growing. I remember you were telling me that you just got on social media about 12 or 15 months ago, and now you're doing very well with that, and you're putting out a ton of great content. I put your uh, IG handle is scrolling down below. I encourage people to reach out and follow you because you really are putting out some great stuff. Um, I mean, how do you? where does the fire come from? How do you maintain that over 25 years? I mean, 25 years is a long time, man. Well, it, a lot of it is fear. You don't want you don't want to fail. The, you know, the, the, just the just the thought of failing is, is so scary. I, I don't want to wait for the bus. I don't want to wait for the train. I want to <laughs> go eat wherever I want. I want to yeah. go on vacation whenever I want. I want to buy whatever I want. You know that that's a great feeling. So um, I, I don't want to get a paycheck. I remember, you know, when I first got my first job at the bank, I got I was making like twenty thousand. And uh, I kind of got paid and then I, I blew it in a weekend because I, I, I went to, you know, dinner and a couple of drinks and I had a little too much fun. And then Monday morning, I had to borrow some money from my mom in order to go to work for two weeks. And she was trying to teach me about budgeting. I was like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> 15 days, you get a check and you blow it and then you got to wait for it. So I kind of wanted the uh, the checks to come in a little faster because I wanted to spend money. So. I don't want to not. Um, I don't want to budget and say, "Oh, I can't go to Starbucks today," you know, because I'm yeah. budgeting. I'd rather make more money, use that energy to make more money. So I want to eat whatever I want. I want to do whatever I want. I want to go wherever I want. So forget about that budgeting. The goal is to increase uh, the sales and the income. No, absolutely. And the great thing about real estate is it could be whatever you want it to be. It could be as small as you want. It could be as big as you want. It could be anything in between. So what is what is your specific model? I've been watching your videos. I, I assume that you you flip as well as you do um, multifamily 
buy and holds, correct? Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's, you know, the markets change every couple of years, and like um, everybody knows uh, business, right? So if you're say flipping or you're buying and holding, it become it's such a good business model that you get too many people, you get a rush of people coming in, and and then you get so many people that it, it doesn't become profitable profitable anymore, right? So then you got to change again. Um, and I'm going to give you an example. So we were buying properties at 150, um, and then renovating them for say 150 to 200. Cost base is uh, 300, and then we were selling them for four, 450. Just, just as an example. Yeah. And, and the acquisition cost went up, say now to 225 or 250, and that's a just a basic house that's going to be knocked down. And that business model was working, but and then it's changed recently because. The uh, building materials went up, right? Ah, oh, brutal, so man. My purchase price is higher. My building materials increase. And then, obviously, my profit margins are going to go down. Um, and then the appraisers are saying, hey, yes, we're going to give you the value. They'll give you something, but they're not going to, like, take it to the moon because there's also a, a number that, that makes sense for the home buyer that's not going to break dumb. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, you get the increase in acquisition costs, you get the increase in materials, and then you're working, um, you know, just as hard, but making less money. But uh, so then you got to change it again. So every couple of years, you always have to change it. So where, where in Jersey, where are you right now in the cycle? Because you're, you're in suburban Jersey and obviously we know it's the suburbs it's it's right Lua. before Charles. It's a uh, Passaic County. We have Hudson County, and then we have uh, Bergen, and then we have uh, Passaic. So it's kind of close. I think we're like eight miles out okay. um, from Lincoln Tunnel. I think we're like nine miles out from the George Washington. So it, we're close. We're very close. Got it. So how is you like? Where are you in in the cycle over there? Do you see people paying up too much for properties? Is there a shortage of inventory with everything going on? Yeah, well, there's a shortage of inventory. There's a couple of reasons for that. You know, we got that uh, um, the foreclosure uh, memorandum. So in a normal cycle, we probably get around fifteen um, houses that come on the market via foreclosure um, sales. So that system is is shut down. The, the judicial system is closed. So the 15 houses that would come to the market every week are no longer coming. They shut down. Yeah. So now if you add that up at the end of the month, that's around 60 to 100 houses that were supposed to come into the market for guys like us to buy them, fix them, sell them. But now that system is not functioning properly. So you have too many buyers and very few properties. And then the other thing that's going on is that nobody's moving out. You got the rent met, rent on that memorandum and nobody needs to pay rent or um, has to pay rent and nobody's going to throw them out. So nobody's kind of like moving around as much as, uh, you know, in a normal cycle, everybody moves around and there's people yeah. moving in and out, but now everybody's just stable. Uh, people are still moving, but out of New York City into suburbia, not too far in, um, kind of like close enough where you can go in and out of the city and visit friends and family and your own life. Okay. So are you are you coming up with like out-of-the-box ways to acquire properties or are you just doing less deals right now or are you doing different kinds of deals right now? What are you doing? Well, in order to get 
we only get like five to six deals per year that are reasonable okay. um, because the other ones are too um, expensive. So I, wow. I can buy a property that's uh, 250 or 300,000 and I'm giving up all the profits up front. Um, so I need to buy a property that's in the $200,000 range in order for me to justify nine months, a year worth of construction and all the capital that goes into it. So I have to let them go. So I only get anywhere from three to five deals per year. Um, so you, you, we're not doing a lot of volume. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to wait on the sidelines. Um, I have a bunch of deals that I'm working on now that we had bought um, you know, a couple of years ago. So I'm working on those, but I'm going to wait for the markets to uh, flow um, in a normal way. Hopefully the memorandum will stop, uh, will, you know, like uh, expire and then things will start to flow again. But as of now, I'm not going to overpay for, for properties because if you get a pullback on the market, say a 10 to 20% pullback on the market, you're going to lose money. No, I got it. So um, do, are you doing primarily new construction at those numbers or you're doing so just fix and flip? Houses on decent lots and we, uh, I'll give you an example. I'll take a 3,000 square foot home, a uh, 1,000 square foot home, okay. knock it down and then bring it back up at um, say 3,500 to 4,000 square feet. I'm on the same the property for the land. On the same foundation or different foundation? Um, I, I extend the foundation a little bit. Got it. Okay. But you'll utilize, because I was watching some of your videos and I saw that. I saw guys bringing a house down and then utilizing the existing foundation and then building up this new beautiful, it was a, a multifamily. Right. Um, no, that's interesting. And, and a lot of people are having the same issue as you. So I try to be, when I first, I've been in the business for six years. When I, as I got into it, I, I tried to get very uh, versatile in, in what I was doing. So first I was just flipping houses in very good school districts. Um, then I started moving into areas that weren't so great. Then I started doing new construction and dormers and doing tax liens and notes and all kinds of other stuff for the exact point that you mentioned as the market moves and inevitably it always moves, right? You can't be a one trick pony because otherwise you're going to be sitting there and you're not going to be able to do deals. So what you're saying makes makes perfect sense. But at the same time, you never want to force a deal. And I commend your discipline because a lot of people will just buy just to buy no, and they won't make money. It's crazy to do that. Because if you're doing it with a 50% profit mark, say you're gonna you project you're gonna make fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. And your ARV is um say uh, five hundred thousand, the market's pulled back ten percent, you're gonna work for nine months to a year and, and, and break even then or, or lose money. So I'd rather not do the deal and um you know just wait on the sidelines. No, that's that's an excellent point. And that's ironically what I did. Was it 2019? So I had like, I had a weird feeling. I was, uh, since 2017, I was like, I feel something changed. Beginning of 2017, I'm sorry, beginning of 2018, something changed. Like I kind of felt a weird shift. And, you know, real estate is obviously like a slow turning ship. It's never like the stock market. So I'm like, Q4 of 2019, something's going to happen. Now, I wasn't exactly right. And I had no idea some crazy pandemic was going to sweep the world. But to your point, Prices were going up. Banks were being stricter on values. Material prices were going up. Basically, the the, the spread was getting compressed and it didn't really make right. sense. So 2019, I kind of chilled and uh, I never used institutional money. I always raise private money. Like I, I have a, pro, a private money pro forma and I go out and I pitch investors and I have private money. So as soon as COVID hit, 
boom, all the pri- all the institutional lenders were gone because they lost their credit lines. Some people were belly up because they, they overpaid. And I went in and bought 17 houses that opening month in March when COVID just hit and went rocking. So to your point, you want to hold that dry powder and be patient because the money's made when the market's down. And then you ride it up and then you chill and wait and hit it again. Yeah, and I agree. So I'm going to give you um, a, pr- a pretty cool scenario. So back in 2008, um, I think we, we had a real estate office and there was around, we probably had around 50 to 60 agents. So when the markets crashed, everybody left. And I yeah, think man. we had like four guys left. So when the markets came back, the guys that stayed, the four or five guys that stayed, were doing the production of 50 guys. And girls, right? And yeah. women. Um, so um, it was so cool to see that when the markets go up, stay put. And when the markets go down, stay put. So don't come into the markets only when they're high. And then when they fall, then you leave and you go do something else. So, you know, in 25 years, there's been a couple of cycles up and down. And I've always stayed, of course. I, I don't do anything else. I don't, I'm not in a, any other business or any other sector. So the point is, it's easy to be in the markets when the markets are going up, but it's hard to be in the markets when they're going down. But once the markets go down and then they go back up, the opportunities that are made, um, the money that can be made when the markets are going up is amazing. So when the markets fell, lost a couple of million, and when the markets came back, made a couple of million dollars. It was a really wild ride. I'm sure. And that's what I was going to, I was going to transition to because I mean, you're an OG, you're a young OG, but you're an OG. Like you've been doing this for 25 years. It's a long time. So I'm curious to know, you know, with, with all the hype, with the internet, with social media, how, with the different cycles, how have you seen the business change over the last 25 years? Well, it's not going to change much um, other than, you know, people, um, you know, the younger generation, finding properties and uh, selling them. Um, but it, it's just an old-fashioned business because you still have the brick and mortar. You still got to go to Home Depot. You still got to go to the Lumberyard. You still got to do physical work. So it's not going to change much. Just finding the property is a little different within, in your marketing approach. But the brick and mortar is going to stay the same. You still need to kind of use your hands to build these houses. Well, do you know what it is? No, that makes sense. But do you notice there's been more competition? Like competition has increased significantly over the last 25 years. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you got more people coming in because obviously it's, it's a really good it, it, it was a good sector over the last um, couple of years. Um, but you, once the markets fall, all the people that came in when the markets were hot lose money and then they, they go do something else. Yeah. So you just got to stay through. All the good cycles and the bad cycles. You're gonna have good cycles and you're gonna have bad cycles. So you gotta stay through both of them. No, that's true. What do you when when things cycle down? What do you typically do? Do you just kind of hunker down and wait for the deals? Do you just wait for the market to stabilize? Like what have you? What you, did you do in? in uh, you help people that overpay. Uh, you help people that overpay for their properties. You, you reach out to them and you say, "Hey, stop in. Let me help you. Let me renegotiate the deal for you." Uh, let me call the bank for you. Let's renegotiate your, your mortgage, your rate, your principal. Let's talk to your lenders. You become like a, a professional negotiator. 
So uh, it, it changes a little bit. And I remember having 50, 60 people in my office or files um, and I was just a negotiator. I was co contacting the banks and all their lenders and negotiating deals because a lot of people were upside down on their properties. And it's going to happen again. You're going to overpay and uh, you're going to owe more than what the property is worth. These are investors that you were working with, like private lenders to like restructure or investors, just homeowners? Investors, homeowners, business owners. Um, you know, that that picked up a couple of million dollars on some commercial deals. Um, you know, when when everything starts to fall apart, it's tough to keep your head on because you seem like you're, you're disoriented. You you don't know where you are. And it's it's easier for somebody else to negotiate your deal than it is for you to negotiate your deal because you have emotions into it. Plus, they're calling you, asking you for money, and you're, you're in arrears. So uh, it, it, it takes... Uh, a good mind and a good person to, you know, renegotiate everything. No, that makes sense. How, how is your past banking experience, you know, prepared you for what you're doing now and ultimately to take advantage of those moments where the market's down? Well, you know, I remember, <laughs> I think that uh, they were saying, Oh, uh, the short sales were, they were immoral. And then I read an article, the mortgage banking association, uh, you know, they, they were doing a short sale somewhere in Washington. So they were saying, hey, don't do short sales. But and then they were doing it for their headquarters. So that was like the turning point for me right there. I was like, F that. I'm going to negotiate everything. Um, and I'll tell you a really cool one. I think I, I, I defaulted on a couple of million dollars. I think it was, uh, I don't know, three, four, five million dollars. I went to a real estate seminar and I ran into Trump. And I'm like, hey, I'm <laughs> I'm dying. I owe like five, and I think it's it's worth like two point five. So he's like, call the bank, negotiate. Uh, just tell them what's going on. Give them income expenses and let them come out and appraise the property. And he walks away from me. I think he spoke to me for like fifteen seconds, and it changed my world because I contacted all my lenders and they negotiated. Um, they were able to help me. Ninety percent of them negotiated, and then uh, I think. 10% did not because they had insurance policies, like default insurance policies on, on the loans. So they didn't, they were insured. I gave those back voluntarily, but I was able to renegotiate my entire portfolio and, and, and then I converted that into a business. So it worked out well. It was a bad situation. Wow. Be a positive situation. So basically you went to a seminar, ran into Trump. He drops 15 seconds worth of knowledge. You you go and restructure 90% of your bad debt. And then you turned it into a business and started renego and negotiating people's debt for them? Yeah, it was crazy. We had deals that were, uh, they owed, I'll give you an example, 500000 on their principal. And we would bring them down to like 200000 with a 3% interest rate. I, I mean, $300,000 being forgiven overnight. It was so wild. I mean, people... You know, I had families, you know, in my office crying because because the numbers was so amazing. Wow. This and this is obviously the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah, but we're going to get that. I think we're going to get that again. Yes. It's going to happen again. You Without know, a doubt. You know, Charles, when I drive around New York City, uh, I see retail closed. You know, the restaurants are not operating at 100 percent. You know, we got the rent defaults. I mean, I, I think that. You know, 
I think we're going to have another one. There's not a lot of different. There's not a lot of sectors that are really that can pull this economy through. You know, you got gasoline prices coming up. Um, I think they're over like close to three dollars or close to three dollars. I think yeah, the yeah. time it's going to be a little higher. You got the cost of goods going up across the board. Profit margins are, are lower and lower every day. So I think it's going to get a little funky. No, without a doubt. And um, yeah, when, when the government just stops dishing out free money to people or they start realizing that, you know, the gravy train is over and um, the moratoriums for evictions and for foreclosures, you know, come to an end, let's say middle of this year, end of this year, the next like one, two, three, four, five years, like is going to be insane. I don't know what the foreclosure timelines like in Jersey, in New York, the average property takes seven years to foreclose on. I've done short sales on properties where people haven't paid in as long as 19 years. That's pretty cool. <laughs> You're like, that's a, how is it in Jersey? Um, I, I, I've seen cases here 10 years, but and then for whatever reason, they were able to streamline it. So I think it goes down to like 18 months now. Wow. That's I think good. New, I think New York too, they, they changed the laws in 2008. It was longer, but the new ones are a little faster now. So you're not going to see the ten years anymore. You're going to start. You're going to see a lot of foreclosures coming to the markets a lot faster. So you're New York, not see ten years anymore. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. They're not. They're not. They're not stupid. In New York, like New York is like another planet. Like I don't even. New York's like another country. Right now, like if you're boogieing, and I mean you are just pushing like an animal, four or five years. 18 months. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you're going to see it a lot quicker. God, I mean, God willing, yes and no, because it creates a lot of opportunity for short sales. It's just before COVID hit, we were still dealing with 60% inventory left over from 2008. It, it It's a hot mess. New York is just an absolute hot mess. People declare bankruptcy 14 times. I mean, it is crazy what you can get away with here. Well, you know, they're not business friendly and they're not, um, you know, property owner friendly. But that's why you got so many people with money moving out of New York City and New York State. 100%. Everybody's moving to uh, Texas, or Florida. North Carolina. Um, they're, they're pro business and pro, pro property owners. I mean, you can't go uh, against the, the business owners and go for the tenant. It has to be fair. It has to be a 50-50 you know, situation, you can't just go to either, you know, over to the right or over to the left. It has to be in the middle. It has to be fair for both parties. No, a hundred percent. And listen, I love New York. I love New York. I was always like, I'm never leaving New York with everything that's going on. I'm like, like, I don't own a house that I live in. Right. I rent for all the stuff I do. I rent. And I'm like, I don't think I want to buy a house because I don't think I want to stay here because what's going on is crazy. It, it Well, you know, I drive around, uh, my mom lives in the city, I go into the city and I drive around, uh, you know, I'll hit up, you know, downtown, the village, or 14th Street, 23rd Street, 57th Street, I go up to Washington Heights. It's not pretty anymore. Wow. What made the city so beautiful and so vibrant was all the restaurants, all the shops, all the people, but now is just, you know, with all the business closures, all the businesses closed, it's not a pretty sight. It looks dirty. Um, we need to change the mayor. We need to change the <laughs> governor. We yeah. need somebody that's business friendly. We need somebody that's property owner friendly. Um, and we need to get back 
you know, to to Giuliani days where he's saying, hey, let's clean up New York City and let's get this back on, you know, the ball back on, uh, what's the term? Let's get the ball back on, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? But yeah, when I mean, you go back to New York, um, when you go, when I remember as a kid, New York times, um, times were so ugly. There was a lot of uh, prostitution, drugs, yeah. um, and then Giuliani came in and cleaned it up, and it looks so beautiful now. Um, but we can't let it go back to the 80s because we're going to get hurt. And property prices are going to get hurt, and business owners are going to get hurt, and we're going to lose. We're going to lose tourism. Now, without a doubt, I mean, my thing is, I, um, I mean, I'm on Long Island, but I, I just finished uh, a year ago. I finished my master's at NYU in real estate development, so I would go in. It was awesome, uh, greatest experience of my life. So I would go in every day. I would go in uh, twice a week for school, and you could see it, like even before COVID, like starting to kind of like trending down, like a lot of homeless. It was dirty. And then now with COVID, my, my big fear is so I'm buying I'm buying houses from the same person right now and I'm selling houses to the same person. I'm buying houses from people that have lived on Long Island for the last 40 years, raised their kids, and they're like, I'm out of here, man. I don't give a shit. I'm done. I'm done with the taxes. I'm done with the cold. I'm done with the politics. I'm going to North Carolina or Florida or PA. I'm out. And I'm selling houses to people from the boroughs who are like, I've had it. I'm living in a box. It's 1.2 million for a two family in Jamaica, Queens. I'm not doing it. I want a yard. The thing that I'm worried about is once people, now everyone's working online, offices will never be the same again. If you can make New York money living somewhere else with a better lifestyle, New York just becomes a cold, dirty, expensive place to live. And I'm afraid that in 10 years from now, there'll start to be a mass exodus from New York in general. Because who needs this? Well, Charles, you, you know, some of the policies, and I live in New Jersey and I work in New Jersey, but I read the New York papers every day and I follow the, the local politics. I mean, the bail reform is, is crazy. Crazy. Kill somebody and, and get out on bail. Well, no bail. I mean, you can you sell unlimited amount of drugs and come out on bail. Oh. You can do whatever you want in New York City. Some of these guys have been arrested 15, 20 times, and they're out on the streets. So you can't have that. It becomes a lawless society. So you 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 have to have law and order. I go into the city and I see people smoking weed, you know, yeah. at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Broad daylight, just chilling. You can smoke. You, but we would do it in the park or people did it, you know, in, in their in private, right? Private. <laughs> but now you see a five-year-old or a two-year-old and they're smoking in front of the kids. They don't even care. So, and the cops are not not doing anything. Um, they feel like if their hands are tied, so you kind of have like a lawless society in New York City, and that's not going to work. And then when you got the local politicians saying free, free, free rent, you know, free healthcare, free college, free this, I mean, they just say all of that for the people to to you know to vote for them, but it's not going to be free. Somebody's gonna pay for it. Yeah, it's it's a mess, man. I mean, inflation is real bad. Like, you know, about I think like five years from now, it's gonna be bad. Like, we're gonna get hit with a recession that I mean is like two thousand eight style. I mean, the good news is I think there's a lot of opportunity and money to be made on the way up now, which is like where we're like starting to go. But ultimately, I, I worry about New York, and that's why I'm afraid to to buy a house here that I live in because I I don't. I don't know if I want to stay here for forever. Um, I want to 
I want to talk to you a little bit about construction because you seem to have, from what I've watched and, and seen, you seem to have a very good handle on construction. And for most investors, most investors, I think, have, I guess, three problems. One is money. And I always tell investors, I'm like, listen, money is the easiest part of investing. Easiest. The hardest part is contractors. Contractors are the hardest part of investing. Absolute freaking nightmare. So if you could speak to you know, the construction process, how you manage it, how you, how you structure everything to get these things done efficiently and on budget, that would, I think that'd be really helpful for people. Um, you know, I'm going to touch on the money situation because it's easy to get money, but sometimes you have to borrow money at really high rates in order to get it. And that hurts your profit margins. So be careful when you acquire money, when you take money at really high rates, because it's going to hurt your profit margins, especially if something goes wrong with the deal. And then the other question that you asked was labor. One of the benefits that we have in our markets is that we have a lot of labor. So we're in Passaic County. So a lot of uh, the people all, um, that live in this area are all blue collar workers. So we have a ton of roofers, electricians and plumbers. And nice. so whereas some of the affluent areas don't have the blue collar worker, they have the professional workers. So our markets um have we have a lot of labor so i, I probably know around 12 uh, a dozen um roofers uh window installers electricians and, and plumbers so if anybody needs any labor i have cheap labor uh, i'll refer you one of the guys you buy the materials and you pay them on the side you're gonna thank me and uh, they'll be happy because they're making money you'll be happy because you get to get a nice bathroom or a kitchen or whatever work you want to do. So anything you need, just reach out to me. I'll get you the right guy. And I, I bet you any money bet I'll be able to beat 90% of the prices that you're getting. Will they, they come prices. Will they come to New York? Within I wish. Because, you know, it's so funny, right? Because, um, you know, we were having trouble finding a deal, some deals here in New Jersey. So we're going now to Connecticut. So we just found the Connecticut deal. It was kind of cool. It's four units and two storefronts. Okay. Two hours away. I've never been to the town. I, I, I took the drive in. Uh, I, I took the drive. It was like two, two and a half hours. But we're closing on the deal, hopefully on Wednesday. But uh, the profit margins are huge. We're getting that at 50 cents on a dollar. So you never want to leave your area. But when the profit margins, when you, when you can acquire a deal at 50 cents on a dollar, jump in the car and, you know, take the ride. So a funny uh, thing happened to me. I get my, my roofer to go down to look at the roof because it's like a $40,000 roofing job. And he's like, oh, my cousin lives in this town. And it was like two and a half hours <laughs> from like, my office, which is kind of wild. I couldn't believe it. He's like, yeah, I, I got everything, you know, in interior-wise. I was like, this is so crazy. This is, I couldn't believe that. You know, my guys here in this area had family members two and a half hours away. I thought that was pretty interesting and funny at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's here in New York. It's very, very different. So I, um, we have a, a construction company, full-time salaried employees, foremen, plus subcontractors that circle that. And we're having a massive problem uh, getting people a lot in part, you know, because of the government. So basically you have people that are getting unemployment and... They want to work a couple days off the books and keep their unemployment and get paid cash. And it's just like, it's just a really, really bad time. And you couple that with uh, 
with material prices and then you have delays and you can't get material. And it was taking five weeks to get windows when it used to take two. It's just, it was a very, very, very tough time. But uh, I mean, I'm happy that there's still opportunity and we're getting deals, but um, it's interesting to hear what's going on in the, in the New Jersey market. And for as close as you guys are, how different the markets actually are. Yeah. I mean, we're having fun and you just have to, you know, be careful. Don't overpay, you know, just watch your profit margins, uh, continue to get three quotes. I got a three, um, I got a quote today for some asphalt. One guy came in at 6,000 and called another guy. He came in at 4,500. So I'm glad I didn't go with my first quote yeah. because uh, I saved $1,500 today and we're going to do the work sometime next week. But uh, yeah, just try to be careful because every dollar that you overpay on a deal is going to be every dollar that you you know that, that you don't make. So just be careful with that, and then again, go outside of your area. So it, it, go outside of New York, come to Connecticut. I I, I got a call today and uh, another call today in West West Westbury Westbury. I think it was like a three family burnout for like sixty thousand. I think it needs to be around one hundred and fifty thousand. So the cost base is wow. going to be around two ten. Uh, I've never heard of the town, but I heard that the rental income is around. Uh, it's going to be around fifteen hundred dollars a unit. So if you can get a, a brand new three family for two hundred thousand and your rental income is forty five hundred, the cap rate is pretty good. Bro, it's crazy comparing those prices to New York prices. Like I can't even. I, I can't even begin to in, – in the worst areas in New York, I mean, you're you're like in the threes. It, it's just – it is great for a single-family home. It is so expensive here now, and the, um, the taxes are so crazy that it's a very, very difficult market, and that's what I also think is pushing people out. But to your point, I think it's good when people get into the real estate industry – it's good to look outside in different markets because it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the percentage return on your money. And if you could go to Jersey and you could buy a three family house, that's a disaster for 60,000 versus buying that in New York and Long Island for 500,000. It's a no brainer. Well, it also has to make sense. You don't want to make 40, $50,000 just on one deal. Um, and that's the only thing you got going on because your your annual income will only be forty fifty thousand dollars. So you kind of have to have enough of them in order to justify your time, right? So if you need to make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and your profit margins are fifty thousand, you need four of them in yeah. order to live. Where a lot of people make mistakes is they'll do one deal or do two deals and make a hundred thousand dollars. But their annual expenses are are one fifty or two hundred, so they kind of fall short. So even though they're still making money, they're not uh, doing well because they're not doing enough uh, volume. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I meant from like a rental standpoint, like an ROI a rental standpoint. Yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. So um, yeah, it's just everything so, here is very very expensive. Going back, you know, uh, one of the niches that we we work on now are burnouts. Um, they, they're you know, if you could buy a burned house and then kind of reframe it, throw in new windows, new bathrooms, new kitchens, and new flooring, it's kind of cool because uh, it's a brand new house. The maintenance is zero, right? Because it's a brand new construction. Yep. And you can pick up, uh, so as long as you pick up a really good price on the acquisition cost. So that's a good way to uh, approach the business. 
find uh, ugly houses, small houses, and houses that are burned. Yeah, you should. Uh, do you deal with public adjusters at all? I don't because they, you know, they're, they're very sort. Uh, everybody wants them. Everybody wants, you know, to. They have their group of people that they they already have, but that's a good way to uh, to approach that business. Yeah, Charles, but- going back to that number in Connecticut, you're gonna love this. I think my. Um, I think I'm going to be into this house for 275 after all renovations and my ARV is going to be five, 500. Yeah. And, um, my rental income is like 6,000 a month on yeah, a amazing. Two, 275 deal. To me, that's amazing. And I think that's a relevant point for people. like, people get caught up in volume, right? Like I like to do volume, but the volume has to make money. If your goal is to make a million dollars, you could do that flipping five houses or 150 houses, you'll have a much better life doing that with five houses. At the end of the day, it's what you're taking home, not all the craziness of the volume that you did. Yeah, it gets a little, it's tough when you when you do a lot and your profit margins are, are, are low because it's a lot of work and any area of that fact, any of those factors go wrong, then you're in trouble. No, without a doubt. Um, so my final question is, I mean, You've been in the game a long time, but you're a young guy. You have a lot of life left in you. What is the future for uh, for your business at this point? You, you got to, you know, keep your eyes open, uh, watch the markets, and don't overpay. Just wait a little bit just to, to see how everything plays out because I don't think this is the time to, um, you know, to overpay for anything. Um, increase your marketing um, and try to get sellers to, you know, contact you. Uh, so do a lot of we buy houses, uh, you know, just different sources. Ask, you know, family members and friends, hey, do you know of anybody selling houses? Because once the house hits the market, you're going to have 40, 50 people um, putting in a bid. Don't put in a bid. You, you're going to overpay. So you yeah, have to find for sale by owners. Without a doubt. I mean, I haven't bought a house that was listed on the market in probably the last four years. So, I mean, awesome, awesome advice. Dom, you're a great guy. I'm really happy that you connected with us. Thank you for all the knowledge. Everybody, his IG has been scrolling down below the entire time. I encourage you to reach out and follow him. Some great education from a guy who's real, actually doing it and making it happen every day. Um, Anything you want to share with the people, how to get in touch with you on any of the platforms if they're interested in in real estate and selling something in Jersey? The other point that I wanted to tell you about is I was covering, I was doing um, Airbnb in, um, in Puerto Rico. You're going to love this. And we were doing around 30000 a month uh, in sales. And then after this whole pandemic, um, it went down to like zero. It was crazy because tourism disappeared. So I know a lot of people are buying houses and they're airbnb them. In New York City, that people are doing them with apartments. But I, 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 I'm hearing from, um, from some of my friends that the business is not doing well. So... If anybody's doing um, any of those Airbnbs and are doing well or not doing well, please let me know. I'm curious to know what's going on because I pulled uh, out of the market for now because to me it wasn't worth my time and the profit margins were like not there. But if anybody else is doing it and still doing well or not doing well, please let me know because I want I, w- I want to know what's going on. That's beautiful. Yeah. So give them my units so they can rent them out for me in Puerto Rico. There you go, bro. I love Puerto Rico. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, so anybody, that's Dom, Dom underscore Realty underscore Group on Instagram. Hit my man up. 
Airbnb properties in New Jersey. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, it's dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold. I'm quick. I'm easy. Lord knows I'm a good time. I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. That's a wrap. 